I have a very simple message for you this morning. Uh, it's not complicated. Uh, I hope that it will be impacting. Uh, as a preacher, sometimes you fall in love with the wow effect. You love to dig in there and get some really crazy concepts, and people are like, whoa, I never thought of that before. That's amazing. And that can feel really good as a preacher. But you know what? I think actually the gospel is pretty simple. And uh, what we need is we need reminded of the gospel. And what we hope to do this morning is just that. Uh, so I felt like God speaking to me this morning about passion and to share a little bit about passion, both the passion of God and then what's our passion. Uh, and I have a verse that I felt like I really wanted to set the stage. It's Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I wanted to define passion for you. It is an intense desire or enthusiasm for something, a strong, barely controllable emotion. And then the second definition in the dictionary uh, for passion, and this is a spoiler alert, but the second definition in the dictionary was the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. So the suffering and death of Jesus Christ actually defines passion. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit. When I think about passion or zeal, uh, I think about a couple things. Number one, it's, it's, it's contagious and it multiplies. And right away, I thought of uh, Pastor Aaron here uh, and how excited he gets and his enthusiasm. And when he's excited about something, even if you don't like it, you're in. You know, you're like, man, I'm excited about it because you're so excited about it, right? Um, and that, that's the way it's contagious and it grows. The second thing is that it breaks into our world and it, it grabs our focus. One of the heroes of the faith that I had is William Wilberforce. He was a statesman in England. And the thing that was on his heart primarily was to uh, see the transformation of society and the eradication of slavery. And uh, if anybody ever saw the movie Amazing Grace, you'll remember the scenes in Amazing Grace where he's sleeping and he's dreaming and he's, he's being woken up by the vision of, of slaves in chains um, working in the sugar plantations and the sugar fields. And it just broke in and it, it interrupted his life. The third thing about passion is it flows from a real or a perceived value. We're passionate about something because it has some value to us. We're not always aware of exactly what that is, but it flows out of some value. Um, and so I want to share about passion and connect passion to the story of the gospel, uh, but I'm going to start at the end. So we're going to kind of go through the story of the gospel, but I'm going to start at the end. Um, and you've been, we've been in a series on priorities, and I know that Lydia had shared about living with the end in mind, and then Jimmy gave some, uh, some how-tos on how do we live a life that matters and live a life that counts. Um, and so I want to keep this before us of living with the end in mind. And to do that, I want to share with you a story. I don't have a lot of dreams. Some of my dreams um, I don't remember much about and aren't really from the Lord. But then sometimes God communicates to us through dreams. This was a couple of years back, number of years back, um, and God was really uh, re-engaging my heart with this idea of living on mission, sharing the gospel, and uh, I had this dream, and it was one of those dreams where you find yourself in a revelations kind of moment, um, like in the book of Revelations, where it talks about Jesus and, you know, like a sardius stone and jasper and emerald and colors and lights and the glory of God. And, and I was in that moment, and uh, I was just like in this place of worship, beholding the one on the throne, the one worthy of everything. And I was like, wow, 
This is amazing. And then when I kind of like, kind of, I, I had a moment to look to the left and a moment to look to the right, and I realized there was multitudes of every nation and every tribe and every tongue gathered around the throne, worshiping the one that was worthy. Uh, but then I noticed something interesting, that there was individuals that were on the front of the line, and behind them were multitudes of people. Behind some people, more people. Behind some people, less people. And the idea was that they were bringing people to the throne to present them to the lamb that was worthy uh, of those people. And then I had that you know, sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. You know, have you ever had that feeling? You're real nervous, maybe before you get up to speak in front of a church or something. <laughs> the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I was like, I wonder who's behind me to present to the Lamb. And I looked, and there was no one behind me. And I felt such loss. Not, not the loss of a, a, a condemnation from from God, but a loss to say, in light of the worth of this one on the throne, my heart is at loss that I don't have a more worthy offering to present to the Lamb. Whew. Okay, so that was my dream. Uh, for you, you've heard my dream, and it's obviously really impacted my heart. Um, just set a fresh course for me to say, my life has to be about seeing people brought into the awareness of the love of Jesus. My life has to be about the gospel. It has to be about people being encountered by God. It has to be about lives being transformed. And for you sitting here uh, this morning, you're like, well, that, that's a nice dream. You know, obviously, it means a lot to you, but what does that mean for us? And what it means for you is that today you've heard about a dream, but tomorrow that's going to be your reality. And when I say tomorrow, at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself in that exact same position. You're going to be encountering Jesus for who he is, not kind of through a glass dimly as the scriptures say, but we're going to be seeing him face to face. And you're going to have an opportunity to present to this worthy one uh, an offering of what your life entailed. We're talking about priorities. And for us to order our life property, for us to have the right priority here in this day, today, we have to live in light of that day when you stand before him and you give an account for what your life was about. So as we share this story, we started at the end, and we have in mind that day. But then I want to go to the beginning, and it's important to know, um, when somebody creates something, they create it for a purpose. And that original design is important. And I want you to know, as you sit here today, that God created you for a purpose. He designed you for something. There was, there was a passion in the heart of God to say, I want to create people that would be in my image, that would be in my likeness, that would be compatible for relationship, that I can share myself with you so that you would know my love, that you would know what, it what it's like to live in such abundance of life and such fulfillment and in such fullness, have the same kind of relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share. That was what was in the heart of God when he created you and when he created me. That was our design. The Father was so passionate for us to experience love, to experience joy. 
And then you know the story of the gospel, is that we were in a garden, we were walking and talking with God, it was incredible, and then there came this voice saying, there's something better than what you've experienced, there's something more fulfilling, there's something of greater value than this experiential walking with God and receiving his love and giving love. And so he said, you can do something better on your own. And rebellion entered in when we chose to turn our back on God and go our own way. So then what did the father do? What was in the heart of God? He could have easily rejected us. He could have said, hey, I'm going to start over with a, with a new crew or a new creation. Uh, but what was in the heart of God? He said, no, I'm so committed. I'm so committed to these, my creation. I'm so committed that I'm actually going to provide a way of redemption and what was in the heart of the Father, this is, this is unbelievable, is what was in the heart of the Father was so extraordinary to give his son as a ransom to redeem us. I'm a father of six, love kids, have such a value for kids. And as a father, I really, I, have, I struggle to understand the depth of love, the depth of passion in the heart of God for you and I to be redeemed and walk in the fullness of our identity. So much so that he says in one place in scripture that he was pleased to crush his son to bring many of us to glory. So the heart of God was so intent on us being restored and reconciled that he offered up his son. And then think about Jesus. What what was it that Jesus did? He surrendered to the will of the Father. He said, I desire that they would be with me where I am. He says that in John. I desire that they would be with me where I am. And he knew the only way for us to be with him where he was, the only way for us to be restored and reconciled, to deal with this issue of sin, was for him to offer himself to pay the price for our sin, to make a way for us to be redeemed. So he offered himself up on that cross. He gave himself for us, for you and for me. And we sit here today. If you know Jesus and you sit here today, you sit here today redeemed and restored and made whole because of the passion for which the Father had for us, because of the passion the Son had for us to bring us back to our original design, to bring us into the fullness of what he had for us. So in light of this, the question is, how should we live? What does that mean for you and I when we sit here right now? And I want to read a passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. It's a long passage. We love the Word of God here. I know uh, your pastors love the Word of God, so we're just going to dive into this. It's verses 14 through 21. This answers the question, how should we live? For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It gets me every time. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us, he's reconciled you and me to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, 
What does that mean? He explains what it means in these next verses. What is this ministry of reconciliation? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them, but he's committed to us this word of reconciliation. Now then, you and I, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. So in response to that day we stand before him, and in response to what he's made us to be, and in response to the sacrifice and the passion shown on the cross, what response should we have? The response is we're no longer our own, that we've been bought with a price. The response is we've now been handed something. If this, is, if this was the, uh, the, the, the reconciliation of people, if this was God's heart and intent to bring us back in, Jesus said, okay, I've paid the price. It's finished and it's done. I just need you to communicate my passion that I have for you. Here you go. I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you this ministry. You are going to be my ambassadors. You're going to carry the representation of the passion that I had when I walked this earth. And what I did 2,000 years ago on a cross, you are now the communicators carrying that passion to the earth around you. You now have a stewardship responsibility. You've entered in to the ministry of Jesus and the opportunity to represent the passion of the Father and the work of Christ on the cross to the earth. Wow. And I want to re-sign up. I don't know how that hits your heart. I hope that it doesn't hit your heart like a place of condemnation, but you feel an invitation. You feel an invitation to sign up for a great purpose. See, you can live to a degree for yourself, doing your own things and get in your own rhythms. But there's a place of fulfillment when we step into great purpose and there's no purpose greater than for us to be ambassadors for God to represent the greatest act of love ever shown in the entire earth, for us to step into our ambassadorship and say, do you know? Have you met? This is the greatest privilege for us. It's the greatest purpose that we can ever step into. And if you ever find yourself bored, if you ever find yourself wondering, what could I do with my life that would really be meaningful? I'll tell you what, there's nothing that you could do with your life that's more meaningful than to share the gospel, than to live the gospel, than to operate in the gospel, and to bring the gospel to people who are currently lost and outside of reconciliation. Right? We've got an entire wor er, world, entire earth that's in darkness. They're separated from the love of God, and we have an opportunity to restore and reconcile them to that. I want to sign up for that process. My wife and our six kids, we're in. We're in. We're signing up to see a generation raised up. We're signing up to see believers come into this revelation knowledge of the worth of Jesus Christ and carry this ambassadorship to see the lost saved, those in darkness brought into life, to see restoration and redemption. And I felt like, um, you know, sometimes God speaks stuff in the middle of things. 
I felt like God wanted me to share this with you here at Lifeway Church is that there is an invitation from the heart of God to step into an an ownership or a stewardship of what's happening here in your Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he said, go first to Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So there's a principle that Uh, We reach those closest to us because that's who we are. We're walking in our identity. We're living in a place. And we begin to reach those people. And then that gives us an authority then to step out and go out to other places. So your Jerusalem Lifeway Church is right here in Lebanon. Your Jerusalem Lifeway Church is this county in this region. And I felt like God was saying that he was jealous of this region. He was jealous of the people in this region. And part of the establishment of this church fellowship And that drill that's digging down was that he had such a heart to see redemption and transformation of this region, to see the lost saved in this region. And there's a stewardship, there's there's an invitation to step into a kingdom expansion that you have here in this place. I felt it just challenge you straight up that this is your Jerusalem. You're the ambassador of the love of Jesus right here. You're the preacher. You're the missionary right here in this place. So as we think about this and what we've received and what we've been given, the question is, like, how do we do this? It's like, okay, you you dropped some heavy bombs on us here, you know, standing before the throne. Wow, that was kind of heavy. And now you just told us that we're responsible to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors and our friends and the people we live with. Uh, Okay, can you help us out a little bit here? What does it look like? And I don't know uh, that I have a ton of wisdom on it other than just to point back to Jesus. He was the model. So practically, what does it look like? How did Jesus represent the Father? How did Jesus receive what he needed to receive to do the greatest act of restoration and reconciliation by going to the cross and paying for the sins of the earth? How did Jesus do that? How did Jesus sustain passion? Have any of you done anything, you know, New Year's resolutions or, um, I don't know, some kind of revival service and you went front and you said, I'm going to sign up for something awesome and you commit to something and then halfway through you're like, I totally failed at that. I mean, I think it's, I think all of us have. All of us have experienced a really like goodwill effort that didn't, wasn't able to be completed and here's the deal. The deal is that we need God. So God's called us to great purpose. He's called us to be an ambassador. He's called us to represent the heart and the love of God. And we absolutely stand in need of God for that. Jesus, uh, the first thing about how he lived his life was he lived a life of prayer. I mean, I used to direct Gateway House of Prayer. So it's got to be the first point, right? John 5, 19 and 30 The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. I can do, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. Listen, guys, Jesus was the son of God, and he makes this statement that's mind-blowing. He says, I can of myself do nothing. Where does that put us? So much more true of us, right? So we've been called to great purpose, to be the ambassadors, the ministers of reconciliation on this earth, reconciling people to God. 
we must have God. We must live a life of prayer. We must receive from heaven. Receiving, understanding, and accomplishing our assignment is impossible without committed and persistent prayer. So I'm so confident that God wants to pour out his spirit in this place because of that commitment. But now I want to put that question to you as an individual. Are you living in that place of commitment as an individual? True passion and zeal can only be received and sustained by God. For us to continue in this and run the long haul, we got to have God. And then really practical, is it on your calendar? Is it first priority? Jimmy did the example uh, last week where he had the big rocks and the little rocks. And I just, I want to reaffirm that, that if we are not having prayer on our calendar, if it's not first place, if it's not first priority, if it's not taking one of the first places in your day, I would challenge you, is it really priority? Is it really happening? See, Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. He's our example. He's our model. This is how he lived his life. The second thing that he did was he stepped into intentional discipleship. He said, I've got to take what, what I'm carrying, and I've got to multiply that in people who are going to multiply that in people. So in order to see Lebanon transformed by the power of God, we don't have enough people here to each for us just to do it all ourselves. So we've got to multiply. We've got to reproduce. We've got to make disciples. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And you might say, how do we make disciples? Well, Jesus had different levels of discipleship. He had three that were really close to him. He seemed to do a little bit more with. He had the 12, he had 70, he had 500, and he had the multitudes. The thing is to ask God, ask God who and how. Who has God already connected you to? See, even as I'm preaching, and I had some feedback last service, even as I'm preaching, I believe that God would bring people to your mind, somebody you work with, somebody in your family, somebody that you, your favorite pizza shop, and you're like, man, I talk to them every time. There's a God would highlight to them, there's a person, there's an opportunity for you to make a disciple. Know your assignment and start simple. Start simple. You know, I mean, we can't disciple the entire city of Lebanon, you know, okay, service is done, okay, I got the city, right? We're not going to start that way. We're going to start with one or two, three. You know, most people have capacity maybe to start off with about three people or so, but let's be intentional. Also, what do you disciple them in? You disciple them in the last thing that God showed you, okay? You don't have to be way down the road in front of them, it's just... When you spent your time with Jesus, he started revealing stuff to your heart. You go meet them for lunch and you say, hey, do you know what Jesus started speaking to me about? And you go from there. The last thing was that Jesus always lived his life on mission. I personally love sports. It's one of my favorite things to do. If I can get a group of people out there and play some stuff, it's just, man, that's great. So fun. I like playing disc golf with Pastor Jimmy and anybody else who will play. Um, he taught me everything I know. I mean, no. <laughs> so, uh, but sometimes for me, I can get going on something that's a passion of mine. I'm passionate for sports. I love it. And then I can get distracted and lose sight of my mission while doing my passion. 
God created you with other passions. He put stuff on your heart. Here's the deal. Those passions were meant to be vehicles and venues by which you bring other people into the biggest passion, which is encounter with Jesus. So it's not like, oh, I can't do this stuff. I got to like be a monk that sits up on a hill and prays all day. Okay, great, pray. But then God's put stuff inside you. That stuff inside of you is context. It's missional context for you to bring people to Jesus. So make sure that when you're doing your stuff, you're on assignment because that's what Jesus was. He was on mission. Matthew 18, 11, and 20, verse 28, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He spoke what he heard the Father saying. He was always on assignment, always looking for an opportunity to fulfill the purpose for which he came to seek and save the lost. I got a couple practical ideas. I don't know, I hope, hopefully you were given these, you picked these up. If you didn't, I think they're outside on the table and you can pick them up. There's nothing, nothing holy about this. This was uh, 21 ideas that somebody put together, simple things. Take cookie to your, cookies to your neighbor. You know, uh, call or text four people you've not talked to in a long time. Do you know somebody that needs a miracle? Call or visit to them and pray for that miracle. Simple things. If you look at the stats, the vast majority of the body of Christ doesn't share the gospel on a regular basis. And many have never led an individual into personal relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming, but if you just take a look at this and start here, you'll be amazed at how God breathes on your intentionality to connect with people, to give opportunity to share the gospel. Also, I want to point out that sharing the gospel is not about going to a location. Uh, I'm a part of Youth with a Mission, uh, one of the largest mission organizations in the world, and we send teams all over the the earth. We want to reach unreached peoples. We want to fulfill the Great Commission, and we want to do all that, but it's not about where you are. It's about who you are. I'll say that again. It's not about where you are. It's about who you are. You don't get on a plane and get transformed into another person. Who you are right here is the exact person you're going to be over there. So you get a chance to go on a mission trip, you're basically going to be the same person. Maybe not for a moment, maybe you have a moment where you step out, but over the long haul, you're going to be the same person. So God's inviting you to step into an understanding of your identity. Who did God make you to be? He made you to experience love, and he made you to represent love, to be an ambassador for the gospel. The third thing is that I want to set a little bit of faith in this room about what God's doing globally, and I want to say we're in a moment of global history like we've never been before. There's a movement of God that's preparing a way for the return of Jesus. We're in a a great end-time harvest on the earth. More people are being saved than ever before in human history, and we have the Bible is being translated into every language. They believe by 2025 that there'll be at least portions of the Scripture in every language on the face of the earth. Do you know what that means? That means people have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And the prophetic word is that Jesus is not coming back until there's people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that are lovers of him. And I want to tell you something, that we have the capacity. It's not outside of, it's not outside of what we can see as possible to fulfill the Great Commission in this next generation. Do you feel invitation in that? Ah, I feel invitation in that. I feel urgency in that. I want to ask you to stand. 
There's a couple things that we want to do this morning as a response to this message. John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, you say four more months and then the harvest. But I say, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They're already ripe for harvest. See, the disciples had this thought that we can, we can get about harvest later. Uh, there's a ripening. It's not the time. The soil's hard. Ground's difficult. People in Lebanon don't want to hear. College campuses don't want to hear. Whatever it is, they say they don't want to hear. Jesus is saying, that's nonsense. 2,000 years ago, the harvest was ready. How much more so now? We just need some, we just need some laborers. We just need some laborers. We've got a whole room full of them standing right here. Can you feel an invitation from Jesus, from the heart of the Father who said, I created you for this purpose. I was so committed to you that I sent my son to die on a cross, to give his life, to suffer separation for all eternity past and all eternity future, never again to be experienced. He suffered separation from the Father. He gave it all to restore and reconcile us. And there's a passion in his heart. Can you feel the invitation and the urgency in his heart saying, I just want to see people redeemed. I, I just want to meet them. I want them to know me. And I want you to be a part of this global harvest. And it starts right here in Lebanon. So I want to give two invitations here this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the kind of love that would be so committed to you, that they would lay down their life, that Jesus would lay down his life for you, that the Father would give his son for you, if you've never experienced the life that's found in Jesus, if you've never experienced understanding the greatness of why you were created, that great purpose that's found in the love of God, I want to invite you to respond to that this morning first. So I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes. And I got a tip from Jimmy. He said, we just close our eyes so we're not impacted and affected by other people. And we have an opportunity to respond to the Spirit of God. So I'm just gonna pause a moment and say, is there anybody here this morning who would like to say that I wanna experience that kind of love? Is there anybody that'd like to give their life to Jesus Christ for the first time this morning? Just go ahead and lift up your hand and we'll, we'll pray for you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and lead in a salvation prayer, just because I can't necessarily see every person. I'm going to go ahead and lead in a salvation prayer here, and I'm going to ask you guys to repeat after me, and we'll pray together. Father God, I want to give you my life. I want to experience this great love. I want to understand why I was made. And I'm willing to follow you here today. I make this commitment. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and lead my life. In Jesus' name.